0: When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. O oh God, you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Lord, you are worthy of our worship. And, Lord God, we want to make this place and this moment, this location, these people, we want to be a house of prayer for all the nations. That, God, we would welcome people who believe you exist and you reward those who seek you, that you would invite them in, that you would draw them in to worship you as a gift of your grace to your creation. And so God, we wanna be those people who worship you in spirit and in truth because we know that that's who you're looking for. But God, we also wanna welcome people in by our side that we would invite them in to the house of prayer to call on the name of the Lord that they would be saved. So God, I pray that you would do something in our hearts tonight, that you would soften every heart in this room to think about who can I draw into the presence of the Lord with me. Who can I pray for that you would do a mighty work that only you can get the credit, all the honor, and all the glory for? And that, God, all the while we're drawing people into your presence, you do a profound work in our own hearts that we just cannot fathom. So, God, would you be present with us tonight as we worship you, that you would do something mighty for your name's sake and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What happens when you get angry? Does a conversation turn into a shouting match? Do objects get thrown across the room? Do you cut people off from your life until they somehow read your mind and they come and apologize for what upset you? What happens when you get angry? And how do you process that anger in a way that pleases God. And is that even possible? Tonight, we will look to process anger with Jesus. Uh, That is our sermon title for tonight, Processing Anger with Jesus. Lord God, I pray that you would speak very clearly and plainly through the scriptures tonight. As we look to wrestle with anger in our own lives, Lord God, would you show that your word is sufficient to helping us through that struggle. Lord Jesus, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully you found Jonah chapter four. We're gonna look at verses one through 11 tonight as we conclude the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter four, verses one through 11 say this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord Yahweh and said, O Yahweh, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. These are the famous words of the comic book character Bruce Banner, A scientist who gets bombarded with gamma rays that alter his DNA so that when he gets angry, he turns into the Incredible Hulk. That's right. The Hulk is an interesting superhero, isn't he? His story is one filled with chaos because he cannot control his anger. But somewhere along the way, he learns to redirect his anger and use it for good. One might even say justice. And we see something that is true for all anger that we experience as humans. Anger is derived from a sense of injustice. Anger is derived from a sense of injustice. Anger is often seen as an emotion that is always negative, but that's not necessarily the case. It really depends on the injustice that you think has occurred. If Bruce Banner sees a crime taking place, then he is right to hulk out and stop the criminals. But what about us non-superheroes? Better yet, what about us Christians? What do we, faithful followers of Jesus Christ, need to learn from the Bible as it teaches us about anger? Well, first, we must see that not all anger is automatically sin. Not all anger is sin. That's one reason why I had Megan read about Jesus cleansing the temple. We need to see that the sinless Son of God became angry, and that emotion was perfectly appropriate to the injustice that was taking place. And we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. But there are other places in the Bible that teach us how to work through our anger so that it doesn't become sin. Uh, Psalm 4 was recently brought to my attention by one of our young adults who simply asked me, what's going on in this text? And so Psalm 4 verses 4 and 5 say, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent, say lie. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. That use of anger there can also be translated as tremble or agitated. Uh, The idea, I think, that is being conveyed is it's okay to feel this emotion for a little while, but don't let it control you. Instead, you need to process it. The words ponder in your own hearts and don't lash out or let your mouth get you in trouble. And in the end, do what you know is right and trust the Lord. The Apostle Paul says something similar in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 26 and 27. He says, be angry and do not sin. There's that familiar phrase again. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So there we have kind of some time constraint. We understand little while is defined by, hey, this should be a very short amount of time. Don't let the sun, um, or excuse me. Don't let the sun down, go down on your anger. And then he says, give no opportunity for the devil. So we see prolonged anger could easily be used by the devil in his devices. It's clear that the emotion of anger is part of our human existence. And the good news is, is that we're not left to ourselves to try and control it. More likely be controlled by it. We do not have to let this emotion overcome us and lead us to sin. The Bible teaches that most fits of anger have traces of sin that need to be processed mindfully. Most fits of anger have traces of sin that need to be processed mindfully. And that is what we hope to see tonight in this last passage in the book of Jonah. If we are going to process our anger with Jesus, then we need some steps in how to do that. So that's what I want to give you tonight from Jonah chapter 4 is five steps for processing your anger with Jesus. Five steps for processing your anger with Jesus. We will see step by step how Jonah processed his anger. Although he did so imperfectly, and I'd probably say grumpily, (laughs) there is something of a process for us to see here. And the first point isn't really a step rather than an occurrence, It is something that happens to us without asking our permission. It is what I call step zero. Step zero, anger flares up inside you. Anger flares up inside you. And we see this with verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What was it exactly that displeased Jonah? What was it that made him angry? It was that a wicked people repented of their evil ways and trusted God in such a way that he relented from the disaster that he said he would do upon them. The situation was beyond Jonah's control. He had no say in the matter. And so this emotion of displeasure and anger happened to him. It flared up inside him. He didn't get, uh, he didn't decide to get angry. A situation caused him to be angry. A number of years ago, I was interning at a church in Kentucky, um, and I was told to go fill up the church van with gas. Oh, the pleasures of being an intern, right? And so I go and fill up the, the church van with gas. It was a mundane task, but I did so without much trouble, Until when I started to pull away from the pump, some guy came to an abrupt halt to my right, and he looked at me with fury in his eyes, shaken to the core that I would dare have the audacity to pull out in front of him. And in that moment, I had an impulse of anger. I was angry that he was angry at me. Was I wrong to have this impulse of anger? No. Was I responsible for it? Yes. Because what comes next could either be a sinful response or a faith-filled response. If I had decided to dwell on how much I hated that guy's ugly, angry face, then I would allow myself to drift into a feeling of weakness and disrespect, and then act regrettably. Can you imagine if I chose to roll the window down, make a vulgar hand gesture as I drove off in the church van? (laughs) Thankfully, I reminded myself how easily outraged people are today. I felt anger, yes, but in the complexity of who I am, I also felt a stronger desire to pursue peace as a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. And I acted kindly by waving to the man and mouthing the words, I'm sorry, as I drove off. What helped me to process my anger is to name that emotion. When my anger flared up, I took five seconds to process it, and it starts by naming your emotion. Now, I don't think Jonah named his emotion, at least not immediately, but maybe in retrospect. I think that's what we probably see here. When he was writing this account of his conversation with God, he made sure to include verse 1. He named his emotion. He was exceedingly displeased and very angry. And this helps us as we begin taking steps to process that anger. So, step 1, you pray earnestly to the Lord. You pray earnestly to the Lord. We see this in verses 2 and 3. And he prayed to the Lord Yahweh and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. In this moment, Jonah reveals what the nature of his heart has been throughout the book of Jonah. And isn't that what prayer does? It exposes our heart to the Lord. When Jonah ran away and Jonah won, it was because he knew God would show grace and mercy to the wicked city of Nineveh. When Jonah was repenting in the belly of the fish in Jonah chapter 2, he thought, even if for a moment, he thought about how he was better than the pagan idolater. And when Jonah preached in Nineveh in Jonah chapter 3, he preached a terrible sermon with a miserable attitude. And after all of it, here is his heart on display. And while we may want to continue just beating up on poor, grumpy Jonah, we need to at least commend his response to his anger in this. He prayed to the Lord. He responded to his anger by praying earnestly to the Lord. That is step one. And we should be encouraged to pray to the Lord when any emotion flares up. I'm reminded of Jacob. You might remember Jacob from the Old Testament. He is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. Abraham is given the covenant that I would bless the nations through you. And Jacob cheated his brother Esau out of a birthright and a blessing and this great promise and then he, he ran and fled. He went to another country, went far off. But then when it came time to go back to the land, to face his brother Esau, he had this fear flare up. He became fearful of his brother Esau. And the Bible tells us how he processed that emotion in Genesis 32, verses 9 through 12. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me. From the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Where fear flared up in Jacob, he prayed earnestly to the Lord. He quoted the word of God, that which had been communicated to him. He recognized how God had already been good to him. He named the emotion and requested God's help. And he reminded himself of what the Lord had promised him. This is a great response to an impulse of emotion. Jonah too prayed earnestly to the Lord and he even quoted the word of God. But that is where our commendation of Jonah ends. He uses a phrase that is used throughout the whole of Scripture to teach generations about the character of the Lord Yahweh. You are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This statement is uttered in Exodus, the Psalms, the book of Jonah, the book of Joel, and the book of Nehemiah. It is mostly used in praising God for who he is at the very heart of who he is, but not so with Jonah. He uses it as an accusation against God, and that's how corrupt his heart had become. What's comforting is that the Lord isn't threatened by Jonah. He doesn't strike Jonah dead, and honestly, that would be giving Jonah what he wants. Instead, God listens to his honest prayer. He's present with Jonah in the trembling anger. He's ready to teach the rebellious prophet who he knows is in process. Which leads us to step number two. God responds with his purpose. God responds with his purpose. Verse four. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Can you hear Jesus saying this to you in the midst of your own pity party? There you are just sulking in your own misery, and Jesus invites himself to your pity party. And he poses the question to you, do you do well to be angry? And we can imagine some follow-up questions. How did that entitlement work for you? You went into that with some unrealistic expectations, didn't you? You're mad I didn't take your advice, am I right? What did you learn from it? The Lord Jesus had an amazing teaching ministry during his time on this earth. And much of that ministry was through thought-provoking questions. And every question he posed was meant to to draw his audience in on the greater purpose that he had. The Lord Yahweh is basically saying, think about what you're saying. He offers these words in verse 4 to teach Jonah before he appoints his creation in the following verses to teach Jonah. And we should be encouraged to hear God's word and learn from it before we have to learn his purposes for us the hard way. Jonah chooses the hard way. He did not answer God's question. He decided to deal with his anger right then and there, which is our next step. Step number three, you deal with your anger. You deal with your anger. Verses 5 and 6. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Notice that Jonah went east of the city. Uh, This draws uh, from the narrative of Adam and Eve, right? Being in the Garden of Eden, uh, they disobeyed God. He said, do not take and eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they did. They disobeyed God. And so he drove them out east of Eden, um, and that's where they um, were to reside. And so this parallels with the rebelliousness of Jonah as he sits under the shade, hoping for the demise of Nineveh. And I find it remarkable that God still makes provision for Jonah in spite of his anger and his rebellion. What we see here is Jonah dealing with his anger, although he is not dealing with it in a healthy way. And it isn't necessarily dependent upon the outcome. Jonah probably looked calm and collected under the shade but he was postponing his anger and trusting in some warped and twisted hope. Now, let's compare that with Jesus. With Jesus cleansing the temple, we saw a perfect display of him dealing with anger, often articulated as righteous indignation due to an injustice that was taking place. You see, Jesus' concern was for the worship of God which is why he immediately starts teaching after he cleanses the temple. And he says, this is to be a place, a house of prayer. But then he also includes for all nations. This is to be a house of prayer for all nations. You see, the money changers and the sacrifice sellers had set up in a part of the temple that was, it was supposed to be for the Gentiles, It was reserved for the God-fearers, those who were not of the covenant people of God, yet had heard of Yahweh, the God of Israel, and would come to Jerusalem and worship at the temple. It was an outer layer of the temple reserved just for them. And that's where the money changers and the sacrifice sellers set up shop so that the Gentiles and God-fearers could not worship Yahweh. And so Jesus sees this as he enters the temple and he feels an emotion, a human emotion, anger rooted in an injustice taking place. And there's an outlet for it. He cleansed the temple because he felt this emotion of anger because of the injustice that was being done. God's people, or at least the people claiming to be God's people, were robbing God of the worship he deserved. Now, let's be honest. Our anger is hardly focused on the worship of God the way Jesus's anger was. His anger was righteous. But we see that it is possible for our anger to, at times, be righteous anger. But more times than not, it isn't. Jesus, we're more like his disciples. Jesus once rebuked his disciples, John and James, for the anger they had displayed in front of him. You see, Jesus was not received into one Samaritan village. And when John and James saw that, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus simply rebukes them for having that thought and moves on to the next village we see there is a right way and a wrong way to deal with our anger. If we aren't careful with how we process our anger, then it will separate us from God, it will separate us from his appointed ministry for us, and it will separate us from God's people or the people he wants to see become his people. With Jonah, we saw that his anger controlled him. With Jesus, we saw that he controlled his anger. And the difference wasn't the action in so much as it was the heart and the sense of injustice. Whatever way you choose to deal with your anger, you should know it will be tested, which is step number four. God tests your method. God tests your method. Verses seven and eight. but in the 32 years I've been living on this earth, I have never seen a worm attack anything. (laughs) The worm was appointed to attack the plant. Uh, I just get images of the movie Tremors in my mind. Uh, Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you do not, and that is okay. Uh, Jonah's method for dealing with his anger was to postpone it, to put it off until he saw whether or not Nineveh would be destroyed. It was a twisted hope. It was a false hope. And the Lord tests the method by taking away his provision and appointing another wind towards Jonah. But this time it created a miserable heat to sit upon the head of Jonah. And the outcome of this testing is that Jonah again wishes to die. It's quite ironic that the prophet of God who bears the message of eternal life wishes that he would die. And I have a theory as to why that is. But before I entertain it, I want to ask you, how do you deal with your anger? How do you deal with your anger? We see a great deal of cancel culture these days. Right, One thing sets off a sea of outrage and the faceless mob looks to obliterate the offender. Let's bring it down a notch. How do you deal with anger? You stop inviting the person places? You ignore them, just cut them out of your life? Do you gossip? Do you slander? Maybe you don't take part in physical violence, but social violence? Do you kill off people who have angered you socially? You see, I think Jonah wants to die here because he sees that God isn't going to bring violence upon those he wishes would be destroyed, right? He, he's, he wants the Lord to destroy Nineveh, right? He wants violence done to them. And he sees that God's too good to do that. And so he asks for God to bring violence upon himself as if to say, Lord, if you're not going to destroy them, then I want you to destroy me. And we know this isn't healthy. But what about ways we think might be healthy today? How do you deal with your anger? Do you bury it and just never bring it up? Do you postpone it like Jonah did? Do you become passive aggressive, like hoping they get the hint? Do you shift it or redirect it towards someone else? It's like, where did that come from? Do you punch a bag or a pillow? Do you compartmentalize it? As if to, in your mind, put it in a box and then put it on the shelf and just say, I'll get to that later, but later never comes. And eventually the box spills out. These are the world's ways of dealing with anger. They are not the way Jesus would have us to process our anger. These methods leave us or others wanting more resolution. And one way or another, God will test them. But here's the good news, and I want you to hear me on this. God shows us his heart on the other side of the test. God shows us his heart on the other side of the test. That's our fifth step. God shows you his heart. Verses nine through 11. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God poses the same question he asked Jonah in verse four, and this time Jonah answers. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. It's a toddler throwing a temper tantrum when he doesn't get his way. So it is with the prophet Jonah. Yet with an overflow of mercy and patience, the Lord teaches Jonah the lesson he sent him with the plant and the worm. He reveals his heart to Jonah. And you can almost hear Yahweh as he speaks to Moses about his own goodness in Exodus 33 when he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord Yahweh. I am who I am and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy It isn't up to you to decide who I choose to display my grace and my mercy to. Who are you, O man? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will pity the wicked city of Nineveh, a city of 120,000 pagans who don't have any sense of right and wrong. And because I am Lord over the cattle, I'll pity them too. And just like that, the book of Jonah comes to a close. God shows you his heart and he gets the last word. God shows you his heart and he gets the last word. So what does that mean for us? As we look to process our anger, well, that brings us to our main idea for the night, our main point. When anger flares up, we must evaluate it from a sense of God's justice, not our own. When anger flares up, we must evaluate it from a sense of God's justice, not our own. God's sense of justice is perfect. Our sense of justice is far from perfect. We may pride ourselves on being people concerned about injustice, but if our anger fleshes itself out like the rest of the world, we will be overcome by it. So we have to evaluate it from a sense of God's justice. Our God is just, and he does that which is just. Justice has been done for us in the gospel. The Lord Jesus has shown us who he is. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is precisely who he is. He is one who is patiently kind to help us process our anger. He hears our honest prayers that expose our wicked hearts. He shows us little by little what his purpose and plans for us are in the struggle. He does not leave us to deal with anger ourselves if we just lean on his wisdom and to process it well. He tests our method to see how does it measure up with his sense of justice. And in the end, Jesus shows us his heart and he gets the last word. We need to learn how to process our anger from the one who shows himself time and time again that he is slow to anger. The more we involve him in the process, the more we will show his character as it's lived out through us. And we share, as we share our heart and Jesus shares his, we see that ours is the one in need of cleansing. Just in the way that the temple needed cleansing. We are the ones who need a fresh perspective on justice. When was the last time you got angry about something? Was God as angry about that injustice to the extent that you were? Was it possible to process that anger that you had in a way that would be pleasing to God? Did it account for his sense of justice at all? Did it have his gospel in mind? We must process our anger in light of who God is at the very heart of who he is and test our sense of justice against that. If our anger does not account for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it does us no good to be angry. If our anger does not account for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it does no good to be angry. We will find only bitterness and malice at that dead end. But if we think on the gospel, we sense what the Holy Spirit is doing, respond in faith, we will find either a productive outlet for that anger or a change in perspective that cools the flame in our hearts. Because that flame may have been stoked by the fiery darts of the enemy. Be angry. And do not sin. Give no opportunity for the devil. To be sure, process your anger with Jesus. Shall not the judge of all the earth teach you what is just?